You are listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting word from Pastor Donna McMillan. This week on, on Tuesday, December 31st, I awoke that morning with a phrase running through my mind. This shall be the beginning of, and I wasn't sure what it was, of days for you. wasn't sure if it was days or weeks. It was just that phrase, this shall be the beginning of days for you. And I knew it came, I knew it came from the Bible. I knew I'd seen it before. I didn't know where, but I knew that. And I love when the Lord does something like this. It's like he invades my space without me, um, with any forewarning or me even asking him. And, and it gives me direction to pursue him. So I really enjoy that. That happened that day. And so I searched it out and uh, I wasn't sure I had all the words right. And, um, I found it in Exodus chapter 12, verse 2. And this is how how it actually goes. This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. The Lord spoke this to Moses and Aaron concerning the 10th and final plague that he was going to bring upon the land of Egypt to convince Pharaoh to not only let his people go but to actually send them away, to drive them out. They had been enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. They lived there since the time of Joseph when he brought his family to Egypt to keep them alive during the seven years of famine. In this chapter, the Lord instructed Moses on the procedure for what became known as the Passover meal, giving them explicit instructions for choosing a lamb on the 10th day of that month killing the lamb, putting blood on their doorposts to distinguish and protect their families from the plague that was coming upon the land of Egypt, the death of the firstborn. So that's what's going on in this Exodus chapter 12. This was a monumental event in history. It marked them. It defined them. It was a fresh beginning for them. And most importantly, it pointed to the coming of the Lord Jesus, the true Passover lamb the one who marks us and sets us apart to the Lord. In verse 24 of Exodus 12, he instructs them to observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. This marked the beginning for them, and they were to observe it forever. If you recall in the Old Testament, there were many occurrences where they set up memorials um, to remember significant things that happened in their lives The journeys, um, the memorials served as a way to honor the Lord, to honor those people for their bravery, and to serve as reminders of good things that have occurred in our lives. Without them, we're very prone to forgetfulness if we don't have these memorials. We tend to naturally remember and be marked by the hard, difficult things we experience, but we often have to be intentional to remember the good things. I think that's why Thanksgiving, which we've talked about a lot lately, is so important. It gives us an intentional way to remember the good things the Lord's done in our life um, and enables us to be shaped by those things rather than the negative things in our lives. Um, So in this beginning of months, the Lord gave his people an ordinance, an appointment, a custom for them to observe 
each year in the first month as a memorial, a remembrance of that great deliverance he accomplished for them. In doing so, they would um, remember not only who the Lord is, but who they are, his people. And it was the instruction to regularly remember, to be intentional, that I felt the Lord was speaking to me about that morning. Remembering helps us to reset, to give priority to what's important, to set our lives on a proper course. And since we're at the beginning of a new year, now is a good time to remember and give place to those things that need to have preeminence in our lives. We have the vantage point of seeing that initial Passover as the foreshadowing of the true Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus. It's important to remember our own personal experience of Passover, our encounter with the Lord Jesus that is a true beginning in our lives. That's what gives our lives focus, meaning, direction, purpose. It's that realization that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. I have to remind myself of that sometimes. Do you? I'll be in a situation um, or the Lord asking me to do something I don't really want to do, and I have to remind myself I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I often recall my initial commitment to Jesus when I was a young teenager I didn't know exactly what it meant or where it was going to take me, but I knew that I really meant it when I surrendered my life to Jesus. Though it may have seemed like a small or weak commitment, it was a beginning. As I thought about beginnings or first, I began to consider things that need to be in the forefront of our lives that need to have first place or preeminence. And this being the first week of the new year seemed like an appropriate time to do so. I'm convinced that if we'll really join our lives with Jesus, he can teach us how to live. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. I looked at the word first from Strong's Concordance. Um, And in Strong's, that word means first in order, primary, chief. And I looked at all the times it was used by Jesus in the Gospels, um, in his teaching or in its relationships with those people he was calling into discipleship with him. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. A few of those places um, that I found the word first in, um, in the Gospels. All right, and pro- you probably immediately think of um, of a verse that Andy mentioned last week, one that's quoted and sung and so familiar that we lose the impact of it. Of course, it's Matthew six thirty three. I think that when you talk about first, that you probably pops into people's minds first. This verse is at the conclusion of Jesus' discourse when he instructs us to lay up treasures in heaven rather than on earth, and not to be anxious about the things such as food and clothing, the everyday necessities of life. But we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be included in that transaction. I'm going to read that verse from the Passion Translation because I find that lots of times things that seem just overused, um, if you read them in a different light, sometimes there's a little more life to it. So here's how it goes in the Passion Translation. So above all, 
constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him, then then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Seek ye first, top priority, the kingdom of God. In simplest form, to seek first the kingdom means to allow him to rule or have preeminence in the affairs of your life. It, it isn't like we're out there looking for God's kingdom as though it's lost somewhere in this world. That kingdom is available to us. It begins from within, where we allow him to have control, accomplish his will, his desires, and we're to bring it into the everyday events of our lives as we interact with our family, our coworkers, people we encounter each day. I'd like to give a simple example of my own attempt to seek first the kingdom in my early days of serving the Lord. Um, I was in college. I was pretty driven to succeed. I set high goals for myself, and I was pretty driven to achieve them. My parents didn't push me that way. In fact, they would encourage me not to be so hard on myself. I did it to myself. Um, As a student in in high school, I was a straight-A student. And so in college, I intended to do the same. But I found it was not so easy, and it really frustrated me. Like I say, I was really driven. Those of you who are into the Enneagrams can probably peg me pretty um, easily. I've never done it, so I don't know. <laughs> but I figured that would sort of reveal who I am. <laughs> but anyway, I thought I probably fit somewhere there. Anyway, I was really driven. Um, however, I encountered the Lord in a fresh new way during my college days. The Jesus movement that many of you have heard about and some of you were involved in was in full swing, and I was swept up into it too. During this time, the Lord began to deal with me about the things in my life that were most important. I realized that my drive to succeed was not as pure as I may have thought. It was really something for myself. I probably didn't know who I was, and so that's where I found my identity and my success, my achievement. But I decided that was not the way to go if I was going to serve the Lord. And I took this verse to heart. I thought, okay, Lord, I am going to do all that I know within my power to seek you first. So I determined I'm going to take part in Bible studies. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to be involved in worship. During the time of the Jesus movement, worship was such an awesome thing. The music was was great. I mean, it, it. I'm sure it wouldn't compare to what we have even now, but it was great to us. Um, so that's where I was going to give my attention, my focus. And I wasn't going to neglect my schoolwork. I was going to be responsible. I was going to go to class. I was going to do the work, but I was not going to let it drive me. I was going to go for the Lord. And so I did that, and I decided, okay, the Lord may be happy with me just making average grades. And if he was, then I, I was going to go along with it too. So I did that, you know, I really gave myself to the Lord and um, got to know him better um, and enjoyed being with all these crazy people in the Jesus movement. And like I say, I was still responsible with, with my schoolwork. It just didn't drive me. And it turns out that year I made the best grades I'd ever made. I made straight A's, and I was taking the most difficult courses I'd ever taken. I think in my physics class, I did so well on the exam, 
I messed up the curve for everybody else. And honestly, I'm not that smart. It really was the Lord just proving his word in my life. So that was just a, um, an event that helped shape my life to see the reality of the Lord um, in the scriptures too. It helped shape my life. In Matthew 22, verse 38, this is another first in Jesus' teaching, um, in his days of teaching. When the, when the scribes and Pharisees were questioning Jesus, testing him, one of them asked a question. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So our number one priority is to the Lord, to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And the second one is related to the first. If we love him in the way we're supposed to, we will also love that which he loves, which is all those around us. During the initial days, my initial days and years of following the Lord, I remember hearing people give testimonies, and sometimes they would choke up with emotion when they talked about the Lord. And and I just, I was amazed at that because I thought, um, I mean, I appreciated the Lord. I had a respect for him, but I didn't have that kind of affection for him. Um, however, <laughs> after walking, I thought about that. I love that song we sang today. All my days you have been faithful. After, I, I can sing that song and, and just weep because I've had experience. I've had experience with him now. Um, he's walked with me through wonderful times and through desperate times. And um, he's been so faithful. Um, just knowing his presence, his help, his care. His love for me, um, that love has grown deep and wide. And I treasure him now more than I can express. Okay. <laughs> but it's important to keep this in mind that it's a journey. It's a process to let him have preeminence in our hearts, our souls, and our minds takes place day by day in the life we live in the decisions we make. It doesn't likely happen overnight, but if we give him the priority he so deserves, he will become dearer and dearer to us. I know that is true. I know that is true. Okay. These next verse that I want to share with you are a little different. They're ones that are used in Jesus dealing with people that he's calling into discipleship. Um, they're examples of things we tend to give priority to that keep us from going the distance with Jesus. Okay, this first one that I want to share is in Matthew eight twenty one. Jesus was making such an impact in these three years while he was teaching and demonstrating the gospel of the kingdom of God. Many were drawn to him. Many wanted to follow him, but some could not quite make the break from the things in their life that held them back. This one is interesting to me. Um, the, the literal rend- rendering of it seems really harsh, but it's in um, Matthew eight twenty one. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first, there's that word first, 
go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. At first appearance, this seems cruel and harsh. It doesn't really sound like the Jesus we know, does it? But we don't see what Jesus sees. We don't understand what he really is saying here. I've read that the issue here has to do with the young man not wanting to lose his inheritance. That would be his upon his father's death. So he wanted to wait um, to gain that inheritance first before going the distance and following Jesus. The Lord interacts with each one of us individually, personally. He has a way of identifying the things in our hearts that restrict us, keep us from putting our trust in him. And he wants to set us free from these things because he knows that the temporal things will at some point fail us. They cannot provide us with the sure, steadfast, eternal security that he can give. Now, I'm sometimes a little reluctant to share this story from Robin and my wives because it's not necessarily something we would recommend others to do. It's our own personal story. However, it is our story, and the Lord did meet us in it in a powerful way. For many years, Robin and I knew that we had a call on our lives to ministry. We were just waiting for the right opportunity, the right door. Honestly, we just didn't know what to do about it uh, or how to get there. In the meantime, we were living life. Our family was growing. We had a full house with four little ones. Um, And two, we assumed that we would get in good financial shape first before we actually left everything uh, to get involved in ministry and answer that call. But we seemed to be going in the opposite direction. Instead of getting closer to it, we seem to be going farther and farther away. So when the time came and we finally said yes to the Lord, we launched out into the unknown with no visible means of support. Um, We just mustered up all the faith we could find and jumped in. And it was scary and it wasn't easy, but it forced us to exercise faith to really trust the Lord and to contend for and stand on the things he had spoken to us. And he pulled us through. It wasn't immediate. In fact, it took, it took a while. Um, but he taught us so much through the process, so much about ourselves, so much about him and his faithfulness. And we're so grateful. This isn't a formula for everyone. The wonderful thing about the Lord is that he has a unique journey designed for each of us. He knows our hearts. He knows what holds us back. He knows what things that hold first place in our hearts and bind us and restrict us from the best that he has for us. I wouldn't recommend to you to do the same thing or to do anything just because it worked for somebody else. But I do recommend that you respond to the Lord and trust him completely. The journey, the details, you'll have to work those out with the Lord. You have to have your own life of faith with him. And he has a course designed for you that fits you perfectly. Okay, the next verse I want to look at is in Matthew 23, verse 26. Jesus is in the midst of rebuking the scribes and Pharisees for their hypocrisy. And he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish 
and inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. Our heart, what's on the inside, is a priority to Jesus. The proverb says, um, you know, the proverb that says, guard your heart with all diligence for from it springs the issues of life. So Jesus is concerned with the heart. Um, I'm sure you remember too in the Old Testament when the Lord sent Samuel to identify the one whom he, the Lord, had selected to be king over Israel. The Lord told Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature. God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Many of the religious leaders were so consumed with outward appearance. Jesus brings to light here that the priority with the Lord has first to do with what's going on on the inside. He says, if we first take care of what's on the inside, the outside will naturally follow. It's not who you appear to be. It's who you are from the inside out that is most important. And in that same light, Jesus places high priority on our relationships with other people. Reconciliation is important to Jesus. In Matthew 5, 22 and 24, addressing hatred, anger, and murder, Jesus says, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Reconciliation, forgiveness were more important than the gift. We see this too in Matthew 7, 5. Jesus is addressing criticism or judgment, our criticism or judgment. And he says, first, remove the plank from your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's important to deal with our own heart conditions first before trying to fix someone else. Um, Proverbs 4.23 in the Passion Translation says, So above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. Then there are two very important priorities that Jesus lived, demonstrated in his life, that I think are really good to remember to look at and remember one is has to do with the scripture jesus valued highly the scripture he put great weight on it you can see the weight the authority which jesus acknowledged concerning it when he responded to his critics and those who wanted to test him trip him up he relied on the authority of the scripture now those who opposed jesus used scripture also And even remember in the wilderness, Satan used scripture to tempt Jesus. So what's the difference here? Jesus knew not just the letter of the words of the scripture. He knew the wisdom and the heart of the written word. Those challenging him did not understand the scripture like he did. I think of the verse in Matthew 6 about vision. When I think about Jesus and what he understood Jesus calls vision the lamp of the body. These are the verses about where they're talking about laying up treasure in heaven rather than on earth. 
because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Then Jesus says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, and that also means single, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Jesus had a singleness of heart, and so he saw things from a clear heavenly perspective. Our hearts tend to be divided by many things, including cares of this life, and it clouds our perspective. We see an earthly perspective that is restricted, limited, and skewed in nature. As we get our priorities in order and our heart is not divided, in other words, we have a singleness of vision, our perspective, our understanding will be clearer and clearer. I want us to value the Bible like Jesus did. There's much that we don't understand. I know for myself, I'll have seasons where the Bible is so rich and meaningful and I love it, so easy to read. And then there's seasons where it's just, I have trouble struggling through it. I'm sure you're like that too. Um, However, I've discovered that if I allow myself to doubt the integrity of the Bible, my faith begins to waver because it loses its anchor. However, um, when I value and respect the validity of the scripture, my faith is built up. So I will continue to learn. I'll trust the Lord with my questions, but my faith is secured on the truth of the Bible. Another priority that is exemplified in Jesus' life was um, the time he spent with his father. Particularly in the Gospel of Luke, you see Jesus retreating to his father over and over. Um, After experiencing great breakthroughs with mobs of people coming, Jesus doesn't go out and celebrate with his disciples. He retreats to a lonely place with his father. When they're Come, people are hating him. They're coming after him to kill him. Jesus retreated to his father. Um, after he gets news of the murder of his cousin, John the Baptist, it says Jesus departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. However, the crowd soon found him and um, he was moved with compassion and he didn't reject them. But you see that over and over in the scriptures, Jesus retreating to be with his father. Jesus stayed the course throughout his life. He wasn't sidetracked when mobs were following him and wanting to make him king. He wasn't thrown off course when the religious leaders wanted to kill him. He knew who he was. He knew his purpose. He stayed true to that which was first, which was chief in his life. Jesus kept his priorities in order. It almost sounds trite to say something like that. Um, but I believe that we too can stay the course in our lives and not be tossed about by the uncertainties going on in the world. If we remember who we are, that we belong to him and we allow him to set our priorities in the proper order. I believe Jesus can teach us how to live. Like I said, like he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light.
wasn't that good. So good, rich. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for that. I'm really benefiting. Oh, Rachel, it's very helpful. <laughs> I thought about, um, I had already read through this, and Donna had talked about this over the last number of days. And so when I was looking at it and thinking about it, I saw a number of things the Lord really, I believe, was speaking to us very clearly about. Uh, the first thing is memorials, positive reminders of God's goodness that fortify our faith. And I've spoken a number of times recently on being thankful. And what thanksgiving is, is a mini memorial. And the more things you can identify, be thankful about, the stronger your faith will become because you're remembering and you're developing in your, in your system, in your heart, your soul, and your mind, a process that um, relates more to the goodness of God than the negative or the other difficult things that, that, that may go on. The second thing was seek first the kingdom and God will add the rest to our lives. The third thing was this thing about priority. And I saw priority number one is to love God. And priority number two is to love each other. And those two priorities, you probably couldn't really even separate into a one and a two because they're so closely related to to each other. I mean, Jesus, um, or maybe it was in First uh, John, how can you say you love someone you don't see, who's the Lord, if you're not loving someone that you do see? So it's very challenging, but that's, those are the priorities. And then this one, too, um, life is a process. It's a journey. I mean, you basically have here, I would guess, close to 40-plus years of experiencing, experiencing God talking to you. And it's so important to realize that what we're doing really is a process. It really is a journey. It really is something we add things to our lives day in and day out. And another thing was the value of the Bible. Um, It's demonstrated to us the word of God as by the Lord himself. And one of the things that struck me, and I'll this will just just take a second, but it's, it's so important. I ran across a survey that the Center for Bible Engagement had done that lasted eight years that surveyed 100,000 people from the ages of 8 to 80. So it's pretty extensive. And it was about people that regularly engaged the Bible. Okay, so if you engage the Bible once a week, which may mean you hear it in church, there's a very negligible effect on your lives if you regularly engage the Bible once a week. What about twice a week? What happens? Nothing more. Twice a week, there's a negligible effect on your life of the Bible. How about three times a week? Blip on the radar effect. You get a little bit of a bump if you regularly, every week, read the Bible three times a week. 
Okay, what about four times a week? You regularly read the Bible four times a week. Guess what happens? It spikes off the chart. It spikes off the chart as to how it affects your life. Now, how does it affect your life? Well, the odds of the following, you're 30% less likely to feel loneliness. You're you're 68%, everybody will really like this, 68% less likely to have sex outside of marriage. You're 32% less likely to experience anger issues. By doing what? Regularly reading the Bible four times a week. You're 40% less likely to feel bitter. You're 57% less likely to get drunk. Not completely less likely. (laughs) You're 59% less likely to view pornography. You're 228% more likely to share your faith. You're 230% more likely to try to disciple others. You're 44% less likely to feel like you can't please the Lord. You're 416% more likely to give money to the church. I don't know how. I'm just, listen, I didn't make... I didn't make one of these up. <laughs> From drunk to sex to money to give, I'm just telling you what they found out. You are 31% less, have 31% less difficulty forgiving people, 31% less likely to feel discouraged and 14% less likely to experience fear or anxiety. But Adam Fidel can probably bump you up about 50% next (laughs) February. So that's pretty potent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I wanted Donna to pray for us and pray for this year. Let's stand together. Also, we conclude the meeting. If anyone needs prayer, um, we do have teams that would love to pray for you. If you'll come over here on the right side of the uh, sanctuary here, we'll be glad to, to help you in any way we can. And thank you so much, Lord, for my dear wife. And, oh, man, gosh, what you put, what you put her through. <laughs> oh, th- oh. Lord, we do, we do look to you for this year, Lord. We're at the beginning of a brand new year, Lord. And I ask you for myself and for all these people that you would teach us how um, to yoke our lives with you, Lord. I want this year for us to learn more and more about you and learn how to walk through life with you, Lord. We want to glorify you. Lord, we want to, um, we, we just want to carry your presence in our lives, Lord. Lord, we bless these folks. Thank you for the folks you brought here, Lord. Thank you for the things you're doing among us and the things you have in mind for this year. 
Lord, we just thank you and we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you folks. Have a great week. Um, those of you who have significant physical problems and you need healing from, why don't you come up and let folks pray for you again? <clears throat> I know the Lord wants to release healing. Please don't be shy. Please come up and uh, receive some ministry and have a great week and um, be safe. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.